Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right, good. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. You know, I don't know about you, but I really love being here on Sundays. Yeah, I really do. I, I, man, I, there's something special about getting to start my week off with you guys. I just love it. And when I'm not here, I miss it. And I love seeing your faces. Man, I love hearing y'all sing. And, and, and I know it's scary to be on the front row, especially in a Baptist church. I know that's terrifying. The Holy Spirit does something different on the front couple of rows here. I don't know what it is, but you're missing out when you sit in the back. Because I'm telling you, man, to hear all the voices over you and then to hear all the voices coming at you, talk about a battle. I mean, it's like you're right in the middle of it. And, and, and I just tell you, it's, it's just amazing. I love it. it. It does something for my week that nothing else can. And so I hope that you love it too. I hope you enjoy being here. We're going to continue our series, Who is God Anyway? You know, we're asking a pretty profound question when you think about it. Who is God? Who is God? What's God like? And, and the reason why I think it's so important that we talk about this is, is because, number one, right, God invites us to. Can you believe that? That the God of the universe invites you and me to get to know him. I mean, think about that for a minute. Just let that sit on you. The God who created the world and everything in it, who sustains the entire universe, has invited you and me the limited, fallen, sinful beings that we are, creatures that we are. He's invited us to get to know him. And so the reason why we're doing this study is we want to take a step toward that invitation. I mean, can you imagine getting this kind of an invitation from God and saying, well, I'm good. (laughs) I mean, come on. Like, who turns down that kind of an invitation? So we're going to take a step towards him in obedience to say, hey, God, I want to get to know you. And the reason why we want to get to know you is not only because you've invited us to, but, but we want to be able to worship you rightly. So as best we can, we want to worship God rightly. Now, up until this point, we've talked about a handful of topics. The first one was that God is infinite. God is limitless. He's boundless in time and space. He's limitless in all that he says, all that he is, and all that he does. We talked about the fact that you cannot build a box big enough to contain God. There's no box that's elaborate enough, big enough, that you can build to contain God. In fact, God has this way of destroying the boxes that we place on him. We talked about God being infinite. We talked about him being incomprehensible, that while God has revealed himself both in creation, remember that was general revelation, God's revealed himself in creation so that we are without excuse But at the same time, God has also revealed himself through his word. This is special revelation. God has revealed himself in a special way to you and to me so that we can get to know him. And while that is all true, there is a part of God that will never be known. And that's in that space where we allow worship to exist, right? We're limited beings who are fully known, can never fully know and understand God. And yet that causes us, ought to cause us to worship him because he's far bigger, far greater, far more amazing than you and I. It causes us to worship. And then last week, we talked about God as being self-existent, 
Self-existent, that means that God exists in and of himself. It means he has no beginning. It means he has no end. It means that everything finds its origination. Everything begins with God. And so he is the source of all that you see, feel, touch, and smell. Everything in the world finds its source in God. Wow. Now this week, we're going to talk about the fact that God is self-sufficient. He is self-sufficient. Now when we talk about sufficient, we're talking about what Oxford Dictionary describes as sufficient. They, just, they define it this way, adequate or enough. So when we say that God is sufficient, self-sufficient, what we are saying is, is that God is adequate. He is enough in and of himself. It means that he needs no one or anything outside of himself to accomplish his good and his perfect will. That's what it means when God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything outside of himself to accomplish his good, perfect will. Now, A.W. Tozer brilliantly puts it like this. I love it. He says, God is the one who contains it all, who gives all that is given, but who himself can receive nothing that he has not first given. Wow, that's great. He is self-existent in that he was created by none and yet is the source of everything. He is self-sufficient in that he provides for all and needs nothing from no one. God needs nothing from anyone outside of himself to accomplish his good and his perfect will. Now, the prophet Isaiah captures this really, really well in Isaiah chapter 40. If you have a Bible, go ahead and jump there. Meet me in Isaiah chapter 40. I've got, I'm going to read a couple of things for you. Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't have a Bible, it's no big deal. We've got the words on the screen for you here. But in Isaiah chapter 40, in verse 12... Isaiah asks some really good questions. And here's what he asks. He says, who is it that has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? And who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Isaiah asks some really good questions here. Do you have an answer for Isaiah? Because what you're going to find is if you keep reading chapter 40... Isaiah actually begins to answer his own questions. And so I want you to see this. This is in addition to my notes. So the people who have my notes right now are probably hating me, but, but, but the Lord impressed, so we got to do it. Verse 22, Isaiah answers his own question. Here's what he says. He says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem, their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither, 
and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. In other words, who are you going to compare that I should be like them? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Oh, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. This is God revealing himself to Isaiah and saying, Isaiah, I am self-sufficient. I need nothing. I need no one outside of my person to accomplish my good and my perfect will. In the book of Job, you also see this. In the, book we, in the book of Job, we learn that God allows a great amount of tragedy into the life of Job. Maybe you've read that story. It's really brutal if you read all the way through it. It's a story of God's faithfulness. It's a story of God's provision in the midst of some of the most tragic of circumstances. But it's also this beautiful story of Job and his faith, his perseverance, his endurance in the faith, his attempt and desire to walk with the Lord through some horrible, horrible stuff. You know, Job does a really good job at suffering, doesn't he? He suffers well, you might say. And up until chapter 37, Job does really, really well. Now let's remind ourselves what, what, what's actually happened with Job. Remember, Job lost his family He lost his home, he lost his wealth, he lost everything that he owns, all of it, all of it gone. Every bit that that Job had, completely gone, vanished. To make it even worse, Job is stricken with a disease, he's cast out of society, he's got some really terrible friends. It's a brutal story and Job goes all the way through it without asking the question why. And we turn to chapter 37, and Job, the floor underneath Job just falls out. Maybe some of you have experienced that moment where the floor just falls out from you. And Job begins to ask the question, why? God, I've, I've tried to live an upright, righteous life. I've tried to live in obedience to you. I've tried to do all the right things. And then how could you allow these things to happen to me? And I mean, who can fault him? I mean, who can fault Job? And so Job begins to ask this question, why? And then something really strange, very interesting happens. God answers him. He answers that question of why have I allowed these things to happen to you? In chapter 38, verse two, here's what God says. He answers Job and he says, hey, Job, who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, Hey, Job, who do you think you are? 
that you have all the answers to the most complex problems and issues of the day, Job? Who do you think you are? He goes on and he says, hey, Job, dress for action. He goes so far as to say, hey, Job, get up. Quit grumbling and complaining. Be a man. That's what God tells Job. He goes, I'll question you, and how about you make it known to me? Job, if you have all the answers, here's the deal. I'll question you, and, and, and you fire back at me, Job. You give me the answers. And so God, here's what God asks of Job. He questions Job in verse four. He says, hey, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Hey, Job, where were you? Tell me if you have understanding. Come on, Job, if, if you know all the answers to the complex problems of the world and you're suffering, why don't you tell me, Job? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? It says, who determined its measurements? Oh, surely you know, Job. Come on, you know the answer to this. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or in what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy? Where were you, Job? He would go on to ask Job, hey, Job, where were you when I created the expanse of the heavens, filled the depths of the ocean, created the barriers for the deep ocean, expanse of the ocean? Where were you when I created the intelligence of the human mind? You even get a sense of God's humor in chapter 39, verse one, when he asked Job, he says, hey, Job, do you know where the mountain goats give birth? It's kind of different. He says, of course not, Job. You don't know that, but I do. Because I was there and I created them. And I created the reproductive system, not only of humans, but also of animals. Where were you, Job? On and on and on we could go as God corrects Job's theology, helping him to see that God didn't need a mentor in creation. God didn't need counsel in creation. And by the way, God doesn't need a mentor today. You might watch the news and think, goodness gracious, what is happening to our world? God knows. And he doesn't need a mentor to figure out how to get us out of this mess. He doesn't need counsel. We talked about this last week, but I want to zero in here because this is incredibly important. God doesn't need you or me in this room to figure out the complexities of this earth, of this world, of this situation that we're in. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need anything outside of himself. In fact, he is self-sufficient in all that he is, all that he says, all that he does. He is sufficient. Now, there are some good news to this and there are some bad news to this. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of like to hear the bad news first so we can end on a good note. So how about that? Is that okay? Can we do that? All right, so here... Here's, here's the bad news. In both of these texts above, we're told that God is self-sufficient. Again, that means that God needs nothing outside of himself to accomplish his good and his perfect will. In addition, David reminds us in Psalm 50, verse 10, that every beast of the field is his. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? Everything that you see, everything that moves is all his. 
Your life is his. Your possessions are his. Your home is his. Your kids are his. Your grandkids are his. Everything that you have, all of that is his. He knows all the birds of the air and everything that moves on this earth is his. He knows it all. He owns it all. And he needs nothing to accomplish his will. That's interesting because we have a significant problem with that. Here's the problem. I think all of us in this room, it's probably safe to say this, I think it's safe to say in this room, room this size, that we're, we're good with God being self-sufficient. We're good with him needing nothing outside of himself to accomplish his good and his perfect will, so long as it doesn't interfere with my self So we're fine with God needing nothing outside of himself to accomplish his good and his perfect will until it interferes with my own self-sufficiency, with my plan, with my ability to control my environment, with my ability to fix my own problems. God, I'm good, but don't interfere with my self-sufficiency, with my plans, with my environment, with my ability, my strength, to fix my own problems. Any fixers in the room? Nobody wants to raise, I got a couple people raising their hands. I mean, this, this is all over me. I'm incredibly self-sufficient. I, I pride myself on that. I just work harder, be better. Yet at the wake of God's self-sufficiency, all I can do is go to my knees bow my head and worship him that he needs nothing from me to accomplish his good will, his good and his perfect will in my life. You know, this all comes from uh, February 2nd, 1842. Anybody know what happened on February 2nd, 1842? Anybody? History folks? So February 2nd, 1842, a senator named Henry Clay, y'all remember reading about Henry? He coined the phrase, the self-made man. Heard that phrase? The self-made man. It was this idea that the self-made man could find success or success could be realized within themselves despite outside conditions. So my success could be made by looking within, working harder, doing better, and that my outside conditions had nothing to play on me doing what I want, being what I want to be. Well, fast forward about a century, 1931, the self-made man became synonymous with what we now know as the American dream. The American dream. It's the ideal of the American dream was that all people, no matter their origin or class in society, should have an opportunity to better themselves and experience success. Man, what an ideal. Wow. I mean, people were leaving their homes, their families, their countries, all to travel to a land where they could better themselves, where they could experience success, and it didn't depend on societal restrictions or how much money they made or who their moms or dads were. It was a land of the free, home and the brave. We can come and we can experience this. Wow, what an ideal. It's a great thing, and it's a great deal for society, but hear me, 
There's some problems with the American dream when it comes to our relationship with God. There's some problems with the American dream when it comes to God. While it's good for society, it, it can hurt us when it comes to our relationship with God. And the reason being is because in many ways, this ideal teaches us that no matter our circumstances, we can look within ourselves to work harder and to do what it takes to move up in the ladder of society, to move up in the ladder of success. It teaches us that we can depend on no one outside of ourselves, even God. You see how, you see the tension there? In essence, it's a theology of self-sufficiency rather than God-dependency. Self-sufficiency rather than God-dependency. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this idea that, that we're given an option in life. We either represent God as his image bearers or we rival him. Remember that? We talked about we either represent him as his image bearers, we resemble him on earth, or we rival him. And this is one of those times when you and I rival him. It's when we step out of our lane thinking that we can control our circumstances, thinking that, that we can fix our problems, when in reality we can't. Now, some folks in the room might say, well, Logan, I, I feel like I depend on God. I feel like I live my life in dependency on God. And here's what I would say in, re in return to that. I bet you do. As a matter of fact, I would bet the majority of the folks in this room have a pretty decent level of dependence upon God. But here's what I would also say, and hear me. It's easy to depend on God with the things that we're willing to give him. It's a lot harder to depend on God with the things that we're not willing to give him. You know those things? You know, I don't know about you, but I know in our home right now, it's my kids. Like, man, I'm just, I'm having a hard time letting God have control over my kids. I just love them like crazy. I see this world that we're living in and it terrifies me. And I think, goodness, Lord, are you sure you know what you're doing with them? Are you sure you, are you sure you have a, a good and right and perfect plan and perfect will for them? You see the problem with that? I stare the all-sufficient God in the face and I say, hey God, I know better. What arrogance is that? What arrogance is that for me to say, God, I'm gonna trust you with the things that are easy to trust you with. I'm gonna be dependent on you with the, the easy things but then, but don't touch these things. These are my things. They're in my control. When God's saying, hey, listen, give it to me. I'm sufficient. I can handle it. I've got you. I can fix your problems. Oh, but God, don't. I like this miserable place that I'm in. I like white knuckling these things. 
when all we're doing is building these idols that God is trying to destroy in your life only if you'd allow him. So it's easy to depend on God and the things that we're willing to give him. It's hard to depend on him and the things that we're unwilling to give him. Now, so when we consider this, this idea of self-reliance, here's, here's four things that I want you to consider. Here's four things that I think will help you diagnose your self-dependence rather than your God-dependence, okay? Number one, number one is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Our self-reliance causes us to spend more time working out life in ourselves rather than running to God for help. If you were to to take a deep dive into your daily, weekly schedule. I'm talking hour by hour. Where does your time go? Is it running to yourself? Is it running to friends, mom and dad? Where do you find yourself running? Is it running to someone other than God or is it running to God? That'll help you diagnose whether or not you're living independence on him or you're living independence on yourself. Number two, forgetfulness. Our self-reliance usually shows up when we forget God's provision and faithfulness in the past. Hey, if God was faithful to provide for you in your past, why would he not be faithful to provide for you in your future? Why do you keep trying to provide for yourself? If God was faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful in the present. He's going to be faithful in the future. Let me just tell you, all you got to do is look at the Old Testament. Time and time and time again, what does God say? Hey, Israel, don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget what I've done for you. Don't forget how I've blessed you. Don't forget how I fed you. Don't forget how I clothed you. Don't forget. And what do they do? They forget. They start looking to themselves rather than looking to him. And what do you and I do? The same doggone thing. And we've got the playbook. They didn't even have that. Number three, anger and trial. Frustration, bitter. Maybe you've experienced some trials and man, you find yourself just frustrated, upset, angry by these things. God, why? Why do you allow these things in my life? We become so angry and bitter over our circumstances because quite frankly, this is not the way that I drew it up. This is not how I thought my life was gonna go. And so we get frustrated and we get angry and we start trying to fix our situation, but it's like quicksand. The more I try to fix, the, more, uh, the faster I sink. Rather than trusting God and following James's wisdom in James 1, 3, this says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Because God's doing something in it. He's forming you. He's shaping you. He's making you look more like Jesus. And praise God for that. Wow. Number four, lack of conviction over sin. Our self-reliance can show up in our ability, inability to see our sin, experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and therefore repent and return to him. Well, I'll just fix my problems. I can fix my sin. I'll just work a little bit harder. Just remove these things from my life. And over and over and over, we continue to return back to that. Just like the scripture says, a dog returns back to its vomit. It's because we're trying to fix our own problems rather than going to the Lord and saying, God, I've blown it again. 
I need you. Like, I can't do this on my own. I need you to show up, and you're going to have to fix me. You're going to have to change my heart. Father, I need you. I need your all-sufficient grace to enter into my sinful, limited heart, and I need you to stretch and mold and shape and do heart surgery so that I can look different. Our self-reliance shows up in our lack of conviction over sin. Now, now here's, here's what happens when we live a life of self-reliance. You ready? This is important. I want you to hear this because this is very, 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 very important. It's probably never been more important in the history of the world than it is today. When you live a life of self-reliance, what are you communicating to the people around you? Let me help you. You're communicating that you need no one or nothing outside of yourself to fix your circumstances. And if you, as a professing Christian, needs no one outside of yourself to help you fix your circumstances, then why, then obviously, then there must not be somebody outside of yourself who can fix your circumstances. And then for those people, why in the world, if that's the case for you, why in the world would I want anything that you have? You look just like me. If you're self-reliant, and there's nothing outside of yourself who can fix your circumstances. And that must mean that there's no God who exists. And if there's no God who exists, then what's the point? On the flip side of that, when you live in God dependence, when you do have a, me- I mean, in life is tough, you guys. Goodness gracious, it's hard. And some people might say, oh, well, Christianity's a crutch. Yeah, it is. Thank God it's a crutch. Because I wouldn't know what to do without him. I'm so thankful that it's a crutch. I'm thankful that he's with me and that he's going to help me limp along. Oh, by the way, do you know that your leg's broken? Here's a crutch. Right? That's the beautiful thing about Christianity. And when our lives live in dependence mode, it changes the game. It changes the conversation. It changes the way people see you. And whether they want to believe it or not, they can at least look at your life and go, wow, something bigger outside of them exists. And I want what they have. Wow. All right. That's the bad news. All right for the good news. Here's the good news. You can take this to the bank. I got three things for you. Take it to the bank, number one, because God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need us to accomplish his will. I've already said that. It's important that you hear it. Because God is self-sufficient, he does not need Logan Reynolds to fix the problems of First Baptist Belton. He doesn't need our elders. We're gonna talk about the hilltop tonight. He doesn't need us to fix the hilltop problems. He's got it all worked out. He's self-sufficient. Psalm 115 verse three says that our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Am I gonna impact and sway God? I don't think so. Psalm 138 verse eight, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. God is gonna fulfill his purpose for you. Do you know that God has a purpose for your life? And he's working to fulfill that purpose. How great is that? I want you to think about this for a minute. 
If God needed us to accomplish his plan, we'd blow it. I know you're awesome. I love you to death. But you would blow it. I would blow it. We would blow it. If our future is based upon me or our elders or on you, we would blow it. The only reason why we're celebrating 170 years of history as a church is because God is faithful and he is good and he has a plan for this church and we're just trying to get in line behind it. Wow. That's awesome. One author writes this. This is great. Praise God that his plans don't rely on my faithfulness. His joy doesn't hinge on my good behavior and his glory doesn't depend on my performance. A-type people in the room, take a deep breath. (laughs) Wow, God's glory doesn't depend on my performance. He's gonna get his glory, with or without us. Number two, because God is self-sufficient, he is not controlled by anything outside of himself. Because God is self-sufficient, he is not controlled by anything outside of himself. And that's a great thing, y'all. That is a great thing. Here's what that means. God is not a politician that can be bought, that can be swayed to our position. There's not a closet of skeletons that, are gonna, that somebody's gonna suddenly stumble upon, find out, and err in order to blackmail or manipulate God. He needs nothing outside of himself. There's nothing that you're going to find out about God and be like, oh man, we got him. Whew. Here it is. This is the answer. Listen, in the history of the world, nobody has been able to do that. In 2,000 years, this Bible has not been proven false. God is self sufficient. There's no secrets, there's nobody that's going to go, wow. Boy, if I just air this, man, it's going to turn the tide for all of Christianity. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be, it's not going to happen. You know, one of the interesting things about us being limited is that we are, unlike God, we are controlled by our needs, aren't we? You know, I'll never forget. um, Y'all remember Ice-mageddon? Y'all know what I mean by Ice-mageddon? It happened a couple years ago. I mean, we had that winter storm. It was wild. Y'all remember that? I remember it very vividly because we didn't have power without, for like five days. It was stinky in our house. It was wild. It was the craziest, one of the craziest experiences I think I've ever, uh, ever, ever been through. You know, and, and, and just to be honest, Jordan and I were not prepared for that. We were not prepared in any way, shape, or form. And about halfway through the week, I'm going, oh, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do. And so one of my neighbors thankfully had four-wheel drive because we've got this big hill that you got to get up to get out of it. Well, two-wheel drive, we're not getting out of there. Thankfully, he did. So I hopped in the truck with him. We went to Walmart. I walked into Walmart. I've never experienced anything like that. When you walk in, it is sheer chaos. I mean, people are running over each other with baskets, which I don't know what they even had in their baskets because the shelves were empty. I mean, it was... It was just, it was the wildest experience. And I'll never forget what it felt like to see that panic, to see the sheer fear over everybody's faces and standing there seeing empty shelves going, what am I gonna do? 
You know, as I was thinking about God's self-sufficiency, I was reminded that God never walks into Walmart. He never stands at empty shelves. God is never without need. For him to be self-sufficient means that he has all that you need. Every bit that you would possibly think of or dream of that you need, he is the source of it. That's why it's so beautiful that he's self-sufficient. He doesn't have to reach to Walmart to go figure out a plan to provide for you. But so often we treat him like he does. It's like our needs are gonna somehow stump God. Well, God, I just don't know if you, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you have what I need. Really? God doesn't have what you need? He is completely and totally self Sufficient. Number three, while God is self-sufficient, we were designed to be needy. That's a good thing. Listen, I know you don't like me to tell you that you're needy, but y'all are the most needy people. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Guys, we're designed to be needy. You and I are insufficient We're insufficient and we were created that way. As a matter of fact, in the creation narrative, when God creates Adam, what does he notice? Oh, it's not good for man to be alone. He notices an insufficiency in Adam that didn't exist in God. And so what does he do? Out of his goodness and his grace, he creates woman and praise God for that. Thank God that we have women in our lives, men. And if you're not treasuring your bride as a gift of God, then you're missing out on the beautiful gift that God has designed for you. God creates woman out of our neediness. There's a need in you and me, but not only that, but in the creation narrative, you see our neediness. You see that we need something outside of ourselves to get food, clothing, sustenance, oxygen. By the way, did you know that you needed to breathe in air to survive? God provides all of that. He provides for our needs. He provides for our material needs. He provides for all of it. But even then, if you continue after the fall, what happens? Adam and Eve blow it. They eat of the forbidden fruit. It separates the relationship eternally between God and man. And then the whole Old Testament book is working out the details of all that. If you keep reading in the Old Testament, here's what you find. God graciously gives us the law, but what can we not do? We can't solve our problem. We can't fix it. No matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try, what do we, we can't solve our problem. So not only do we rely on God for our basic needs, but we also depend on God for our salvation. It is a good thing for us to be needy. In fact, Paul even says this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. No matter how hard Israel tried, they were gonna fail. No matter how hard you try, you are gonna fail because you can't do what an all-sufficient Savior can do. God is all sufficient and we are insufficient in need of the sufficiency of God. And so I'll conclude my thought in this way. No matter what you're facing today, 
whether it's in your past, your present, or in your future, God is self-sufficient. He's self-sufficient. We can rely on him to provide for our needs in accordance with his good and his perfect will. Listen, I just gotta tell you that the only person outside of yourself that you can truly rely on and depend on is an all-sufficient God. Because even the people in your closest circle will fail you. But an all-sufficient God will never let you down. He'll never let you down. Will you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your self-sufficiency. And while that's hard to say, I know it's true. God, you are self-sufficient and we are not. We are desperately in need of you and your sufficiency. God, we need you to be enough for us. We need you to satisfy us, God. And so we call upon you to do that. Even this morning, God, would you satisfy our hearts? Would you satisfy our minds? God, I truly believe that you get more glory when we are more satisfied in you. So Lord, satisfy our hearts in you. Remind us that you are enough, that you are adequate, that no matter what it is that we face, Father, you are enough for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. Hope to see you soon.